So, Alan, this is a momentous occasion. Our 50th episode. So we got to check this podcast for give it a colonoscopy. Or... <laughs> I think we do that every week. But what I really wanted to do <laughs> was I wanted to I wanted to get a little serious for a moment. Okay. And talk to the audience and you with some sincere words that I uh, came up with. I've been writing this for a while now. I didn't do any research online. Um, I didn't want to crib from anyone else's thoughts. I wanted this to be 100% original. So here it is from the heart, um, a little something I've been working on in honor of our 50th podcasting anniversary. Please proceed. Let me start my speech by greeting every one of you listeners who has come to share this momentous event with us. Alan and I are deeply honored by your presence, and we appreciate you helping to make this particular episode more memorable. Wow. I can't believe I've been married to the same woman I exchanged vows with 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. Looking at you, my beautiful Carla, you look the same way you did when you walked down that aisle and into my arms that phenomenal day, June 5th, 1961. Uh Since then, I've always considered myself the luckiest man in the world. That doesn't... uh... You're sure you didn't take this from anywhere else, Rob? Huh? What? No, original. Completely original. I didn't just uh, do a 30-second search for what to talk about at a 50th anniversary. Okay. (laughs) It's funny that they would give advice so specific to Carla. (laughs) You know, Carla really needed it. She, she, She was going through a tough patch. Aren't we all? It's time. Time for a thrilling story of romance. Adventure, mystery, anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello, and welcome to the show that usually ends. The 50th episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and I'm joined tonight by my own personal golden anniversary, Alan. How are you, Alan? I'm nifty, I'm thrifty, look who's 50. (laughs) Well, we've decided to honor our 50th podcast with a tale of suspenseful horror um, called, uh, called The Brain Jungle. It's by Edward Mott Woolley, and it's from Short Stories Magazine, April 1914. They really tell you what you're getting. You're getting a brain jungle, whether you like it or not. I meant short stories. <laughs> oh. getting a... It's very specific, it's actually, yes. It's actually kind of a long story, so <laughs> buckle in. Supersized for our 50th, Alan. Come on. Absolutely. So now, everybody, because you know what you're in for, go ahead and grab a drink, your favorite drink, and curl up in your absolutely best chair while we read you this week's tale. After the fifth unaccountable murder in Litchfield, the city council met in secret session and voted to retain Felix Hazard whose reputation for detecting well-nigh inscrutable crimes was unsurpassed. 
Ladies and gentlemen of the Litchfield City Council, it's past time to act to stop these atrocities. Here, We're here. going bankrupt from paying the guy whose job it is to paint the population of the town on the sign. And <laughs> it's got to do it one by one. Every week, just going out. It's blowing the whole budget. People are born, though, too. So it's just up and down all over the place. After the fifth unaccountable birth in Litchfield. <laughs> Hello, Felix Hazard. I'm here to see about your baby birthing problem. <laughs> Accordingly, the mayor went down to New York without informing even the chief of police of Litchfield and called at the office of the Hazard Detective Agency. Here, after a wait of two hours in an ante room, he was shown into the little private den of the wizard, the room so profusely decorated with skulls and other relics of crime. Uh, and over here, you can see our extensive collection of Recovered shoplifting items, uh, Skittles, AA batteries, Target house brand Marona crop tops, uh, Starburst Skittles. Oh, oh that's good. those are the best of the Skittles. That's how you taste the rainbow and burst with stars. Just don't ever fill the crop top with it. That's It doesn't work. <laughs> Hazard was there, seated at a flat top desk in a haze of blue tobacco smoke with some red and green diagrams before him. I've been looking at this evidence, and I think I see the problem, which is that I'm red-green colorblind, so to put it another way, I don't see the problem. <laughs> Why does he red and green? Very, very specific. Maybe, maybe he's supposed to have 3D glasses on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think so? <laughs> I think so. Our city of Litchfield said the mayor after formalities, has until recently been unusually free from serious crime. On the first day of June, the Litchfield Daily Times printed an editorial boasting that two years had elapsed since a homicide had been committed in our city. Opinion? Litchfield, so free of murder, even a master criminal who likes a challenge couldn't get away with it here. I love that editorial boasting about no murders. Come on, guys, let's get something going here. I dare ya. <laughs> Double dog dare ya. But that very evening, sir, an atrocious murder was done. The victim being one of our most noble women, Mrs. Agatha Blovell, a wealthy widow. <laughs> and I think we can agree, a wealthy widow is at the very top tier of widows. <laughs> oh, yeah, it goes, um... Let's see, wealthy widow, mm -hmm. newly widowed, mm -hmm. um, merry widow, merry widow, and then unmerry widow, <laughs> unmerry widow, the saddest of all widows, who was waylaid in her electric runabout just after dark and strangled to death. Who killed the electric car's widowed owner? Where's your answer for that, Ed Bagley? <laughs> he has to be involved. <laughs> You know he's involved. The electric car killer. She was driving the car herself and was alone, having just visited the Asylum of the Innocents, a mile out of town. You know, it's, it's kind of a poor design, but the Asylum of the Innocent shares the same cafeteria with Arkham Asylum for the <laughs> criminally insane, so the lunch hour gets pretty wacky. All right. Scenario A. Uh-huh. A hungry killer croc has to wait for a very small orphan to get their gruel. <laughs> Scenario B. Mm -hmm. Clayface bumps into a person with an irrational fear that the earth has been taken over by shape-shifting aliens. 
So, <laughs> is there another scenario? Let's see if there's another scenario here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> huh? Scenario C: That talking gangster puppet says literally anything to everyone else who is there. <laughs> oh, Scarface! He'd get along with the orphans, I think. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they love gangster puppets. <laughs> hey, you see. Held by creepy old men with big glasses. <laughs> Who are scared of the puppets. <sighs> she had long been the chief patroness of this institution to which she had contributed large sums of money. The apparent motive was robbery, though the murderer did not succeed in getting the widow's jewels. Evidently, something happened to alarm him, for he made his escape and left the brooch and the rings untouched. I'm Yet sorry, he left the what? The brooch. Nope. And the rings. Nope. It's spelled it's, brooch. It's spelled brooch and it's pronounced brooch. <laughs> I thought you spelled it with an A when you said brooch. That's a different kind of brooching. That's... I thought maybe this is a, we were brooching a new top. All right, all right. <clears throat> for he made his escape and left the brooch and the rings untouched. Yet so rapidly and fiendishly was the crime perpetrated that the victim seems to have made scarcely a struggle. Yeah, uh, okay. Hey, take a seat. Thanks for coming in. As this school's guidance counselor, you know, it's not my job to tell you what to do, but to help shape your thinking on what criminal track you'd like to go hmm. down. Hmm. Now, I can't help noticing you've only applied to some very expensive and selective jewel heist colleges and you don't even have a backup murder technical school. And I'll be frank, seems like that might be a better fit for you. I mean, take a look at your criminal aptitude oh, test Oh, scores. the cat, yes. Yeah, you scored very high on the brutality section, uh, but you didn't even fill out half the masterminding questions. You gotta think bigger, you know, in your criminal activities. Hazard interrupted with a gesture. You remember that he took little interest in ordinary crimes with commonplace motives, nor did he waste time discussing them. The world was full of sordid deeds of violence, and his lightning-like imagination had a habit of jumping to fantastic possibilities. All these murders. But who stands to benefit? The florist. It's the perfect way to get rid of his wilting chrysanthemums in bulk. Nobody suspects the florist, Alan. It's genius. I mean, the... The, the detective does. Well, he's got lightning-like imagination. Yeah. <laughs> for sordid deeds of violence. That's, that does it for him. If he found no range for such flights of involved fancy, he invariably dropped a case at the start. So now, without any change in his immobile countenance, he raised his hand and observed, You speak of the Asylum of the Innocents. An orphan asylum, I take it. Nope, it's it's just all OJs. Just just all OJ after OJ. A lot of innocence in there. <laughs> if he did it. Uh. One that shelters a hundred homeless children, answered the mayor. An institution founded by Miss Miss Blovell herself. Very good, said Hazard. Proceed to the second crime. The second crime, returned the visitor, taken aback by the other's brusqueness, bears no relation to the first, but is a separate mystery. If you will permit me, I should like to narrate the details of the first murder before proceeding. The details can wait, broke in Hazard. I have an appointment in ten minutes. 
to review the police report on the first crime. So, as I said, the details can wait for 10 minutes. It's very, very specific, but he runs a tight schedule. Listen, the meeting was scheduled for a reason. The mayor, who had seated himself at the opposite side of the table, looked at the detective in amazement. He could not comprehend the rapid action of Hazard's agile mind, and he was inclined to resent the ungracious reception accorded him. He had some hot words on his lips. Mm. Hangry? Glamping? <laughs> Snack with two C's? <laughs> Thick with two C's? That's a lukewarm word. Uh, I don't know. Sorry about that. I don't know. I think your fleek is getting cold. <laughs> but they died away as he found the strange eyes of the other fastened upon him. There was something singularly uncanny in Hazard's unusually large and rounded orbs when they chose to frame an illuminated interrogation mark. Very well, said the mayor curtly. If our time is so unceremoniously short, I shall endeavor to be brief. The second crime may possibly have been an accident, but such theory is even more unexplainable than that of murder. Two days after the death of the widow Blovel, a small boy named Donaldson died in great agony after eating some candy buttercups bought at a local confectioner's, a store patronized largely by schoolchildren. Well, listen, I'm not all for mandatory sentencing, but if they just sent Mr. Gower away to jail after the first poisoning attempt, <laughs> this never would have happened. Oh, poor Mr. Gower. Oh, hey, listen, I'm not the one that put poison in the baby's medicine. <laughs> you know that drunk. Out of here. How'd you go, you, pick, you pixies? <laughs> I had to through the door, through the window. Hey, look at me. I'm giving out wings. <laughs> <laughs> Other persons were affected, but recovered. A post-mortem showed strychnine in large quantities, and the confectioner was arrested. He proved that his goods were purchased of reputable manufacturers, who in turn demonstrated that no strychnine was used for any purpose in their plants. Listen, detective, our products are 99% corn syrup, and that other 14% is filled to the brim with lead. It's over capacity. I'm going to tell you what we told our product development team. We couldn't fit strychnine in there if you wanted us to. <laughs> okay, we hear you. But the marketing people are on us. What about trace amounts of strychnine? <laughs> Just trace. You don't have to put it on the label then if it's less than one calorie of strychnine. Well, there we go. <laughs> Positives for both of us. Where it came from a mystery that our police detectives have not solved... Quite likely, remarked Hazard, caustically. The third crime. With the question mark again burning into his brain, the mayor smothered his anger. The third crime, he retorted, had nothing to do with either the first or the second, but was an assassination committed, apparently, for revenge. One of our clergymen, the Reverend Dr. Mathewson, was shot down while entering the rear door of his church just before the hour for evening service. The murderer had concealed himself in the back vestibule, which was dark, and he escaped without being seen. After a perfunctory trip to the confessional that uh, probably was not 100% accurate. <laughs> Still, he made the attempt. Yeah. 
Circumstances pointed strongly to a certain young man for whom the minister had refused to perform a marriage ceremony on the ground of the applicant's ill health. Yes, and you will raise your children in the church? Oh, no, no, I don't need a promise. Okay, well, I think that's fine, then, if you'll just go ahead and kneel in front of this holy crucifix and swear on your cross that your IBS is not chronic, and <laughs> me and God will be happy to bless this union. I didn't know there was such a rule that about pre-existing conditions in marriage. Oh, yes, it's very, it's very strict. <laughs> wow, that's a little rough. This young man was arrested and discharged for lack of evidence, I take it? said Hazard, gazing out of the window over the scenes of Broadway far below. The grand jury did not feel justified, owing to an alibi. Uh, which was very shaky, but apparently at the time of the murder, he was Jewish. <laughs> and gay. Oh, well. And already married. And dead. <laughs> so an open and shut case for the well, grand Well, it's all jury? circumstantial. <laughs> The mayor began, but Hazard said quietly, Alibis are inconvenient nuisances in the detection of crime. However, I think we need not concern ourselves in that way just now. What was the reputation of the reverend gentleman? A subject for scandal? On the contrary, the mayor assured him. No breath of suspicion had ever been whispered against him. A more godly man never lived. Not even Jesus. <laughs> ever. Jesus sucked next to this He's, guy. God, he, he was a party animal compared to this guy. <laughs> ah, muttered Hazard, with more show of interest than he had hitherto betrayed. And the fourth crime was... The mayor's lips curled a little, but already he was getting into the rapid swing of this man who sat opposite. We're going pretty fast, he said, but if you cannot grant me more than a minute to narrate each of these mysteries, I shall have to be lively indeed. Okay, just, just one second, let me warm up. Many mysterious murders may multiply malignantly. Okay, I'm going to need two minutes. <laughs> you should really go for more simple narration. Well, no, it's just it's the tongue. It's going to loosen up. <laughs> the fourth crime was the cowardly murder of a young girl without a clue or motive remaining. She was stabbed to death on the steps of her own home by a man who sprang out of the darkness, dealt the blow, and fled forthwith. The crime seems to have had not the vestige of purpose. Unless the purpose was to kill her, and then I think you have to admit it was pretty on the nose. <laughs> it's fair enough. Success is best measured by uh, the results. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a strong KPI. <laughs> That's a that's a quarterly goal, Matt. Yeah, yep, cha-ching. Which of itself opens a wide and amazing field for speculation, answered Hazard, getting up. In two minutes I must be in my automobile, so I ask you to proceed at once to the fifth mystery, as you call it. My sister's driving me to the mall, and if I'm not on time, I have to do her laundry for a month, and she owns a lot of delicates. Oh, oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's <sad>. bad, man. <laughs> That, that Julie Hazard, she is, uh, she is rough on delicates, too. Do you know how many different lingerie bags I have to use? <laughs> on the 7th of July, the mother superior of the Good Shepherd Home for the Aged was missed from the institution. 
And on the following day, her body was found in the river below town. Oh, oh, okay. All right. The candy thing threw me originally. But now it's pretty clear you've got some kind of Bubba Hotep situation. <laughs> very, very common in 1914. Oh, yeah. That's peak Bubba. <laughs> peak Hotep. A post-mortem. Yeah, I think Picotap was the fourth <laughs> ruler of the Tomlaic dynasty. <laughs> True. He lasted for 32 days, I think. Yeah. A post-mortem showed that she died from drowning, but at no point near Litchfield is the stream more than three feet deep. And according to our very competent police, she was almost definitely between four and seven feet tall, so the whole thing seems impossible. <laughs> really on top of things it's impossible just not possible can't fit that in there if if the stream isn't deep uh-huh a sentence you cannot keep mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you got it mm-hmm. nailed it they, that's why they pay you the big bucks 50 it runs through a corner of the good shepherd grounds and the Mother Superior was in the habit of going down to its banks in a heavy grove for meditation and prayer. Here the police found evidences of a struggle, but nothing was discovered that threw the slightest light on the crime. There is no doubt that she was seized and held underwater until life was extinct. Why? It may have been for revenge, but for what? Canceling canasta and hard candy night? That was a mass riot situation, not a highly targeted murder. It's more of a torch and pitchfork situation, not an actual, you know. Those those elderly people, they deserve our respect. Yeah, and and, and fear. And fear. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> fear. So far as known, the Mother Superior had not an enemy in the world. There are those in Litchfield who incline toward the theory of suicide on the supposition that the woes of mankind to which she had been ministering for forty years had unbalanced her mind. But this theory appears preposterous. She never exhibited any evidence of dementia, unless you call sadness insanity, and consider pity a sign of a weakened intellect. But enough about ICE application forms. <laughs> Timely. Mm. <sighs> it may be that pity is one of the signs we are looking for, said Hazard, enigmatically, as he drew on his gloves. How so? The other shrugged his shoulders. Stepping to the wall, he took a stiletto from among the relics that hung there. Closing his eyes, he made a few passes with it in front of him, so that the mare stepped back hurriedly. I merely stab in the dark, observed Hazard, tossing the dagger on his desk and smiling grimly. Until someone screams very loudly, and then I know I've got the criminal, and it's definitely one of the two of us. <laughs> Which one could it be, Alan? It's a complicated thing being a private detective. <laughs> when I shut my eyes, I sometimes see things that may or may not exist in reality. Uh, ordinary humans like you wouldn't understand it. It's a thing I call freeming, because my <laughs> mind is freed to make up crazy ideas while I go into a trance-like state huh. that involves some light snoring. What? <laughs> some light snoring. Well, that's when the freeming happens. I'm surprised this isn't more common. It really sounds like the kind of thing uh, we would have heard oh, no, of by no. now. Listen, my mind daggers and lightnings. 
Daggers and lightnings, daggers and lightnings. Navy beans, navy beans. <laughs> it is the things one sees in the dark that makes the good detective. He may stab and hit nothing, but if the thing he sees is really there, ah, mysteries have a habit of fading away. Just like my frames do after I open my eyes. You know, I had the most interesting frame the other day uh, uh -huh. where I was flying mm -hmm. and then my teeth fell out. And oh, wow. suddenly I had solved the case of the pilot's missing dentures <laughs> for which I received this Medal of Honor with really? two little wings mm -hmm. and the words junior flight crew. <laughs> That's uh, that's great. I got to get back to those spreadsheets. No, um, do you want to hear some more about nope, my frames? I'm really cool with your frames. Um, gotta go. This frame gave me a boner. Okay, I'm interested. <laughs> what? Which part of it exactly? <laughs> you may have already stabbed at something in this case, demanded the mayor breathlessly. You you have seen something in the dark. A mere deduction. Hazard put on his hat and offered his hand to his collar in adieu. A mere grotesque fancy, perhaps. Who can say? It must be worked out before it is talked about. Silence. Silence always is the motto under which we operate here. It's a very difficult model to live up to and a very difficult model to communicate. <laughs> if you... If you get, it's designed by committee, really. <laughs> Hello? I'm agreeing with you silently. I get it. <laughs> the imagination, my dear sir, is a wonderful thing. It can jump to any height and explore the most inaccessible mental absurdities. Hodorowski's The Toxic Avenger. That would be the greatest thing ever made. Let me tell you, if you thought those mental absurdities were going to be accessible, you were wrong. Art by Geiger and Mobius. <laughs> <laughs> All the designs. I think Art and Noise does the soundtrack. <laughs> Getting better. And if it is a good, healthy imagination, it will return to Earth just as quickly when it finds nothing up there to seize upon. My men will visit you shortly in Litchfield. I merely repeat to you, silence. No, no, I hear it. I do. I, I hear it. It's, yeah, it's not quite how it works. Yeah. yeah. We need to work this out more. Well, it's, yes. Maybe get a focus group in. <laughs> Good day, sir. Part two. A month subsequent to the mayor's visit to the metropolis, Delos Nest one of the operatives of the Hazard Detective Agency, returned to New York from a visit to Litchfield, where other secret agents of Hazard were at work. On the night of his return, he and his chief spent six hours in close communion in the Skull Room, high above Broadway. To both these criminal pathologists, the night was pretty much the same as the day, so the dawn frequently came while they conducted their mental clinics. Night. Day. We're highly paid detectives. We don't have time for the details of which 12-hour period something happened during. <laughs> ah, details. We're, we're big idea people. Yeah, maybe it was a guy with a gun. Anyone think about that? Blue Sky Detective Agency. <laughs> hey, it could have happened. Let's just go around the room and everyone pitch a motive. Come on. 
<laughs> no ideas are too bad. <laughs> oh, great. Because I have some really bad ideas, boss. Okay. Jeff? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Jeff, lots riding on this. Your last few ideas have not been great. Okay. Um, how about we take the break room and we call it the skull room? <laughs> All right. I like what you're doing so far. Okay. Number two. How about we give everybody at the detective agency really crazy names like Delos Nast and Felix Hazard? I like where this is going, Jeff. You're getting on the list for promotion. All right, you got one more? All right. Yeah. All right. How about we wildly overcharge all the clients? Jeff, you are promoted. Thank you. Yes, you may call me Chaz big time now. <laughs> Beautiful. Hazard and Nast usually worked on the hypothesis that a study of mental processes afforded the best path to crime solution. On the table between them, there now reposed the tabulated results of some elaborate sales researches conducted in Litchfield and vicinity. In other words, long lists of names that were classified ostensibly into such groups as the clever sales manager lays out when he analyzes a district preparatory to a selling campaign. We'll never get fair shopping if this Costco mandarin doesn't stop, Rob. No sales taxation without big boxification. With big boxification, I guess I mean. It doesn't matter. It was not a great slogan. Uh, you know, it, it just needs, again, focus groups. Outwardly, this research had been conducted in behalf of the Electrical Outfitting Company of New York and it constituted quite a valuable assembly of facts as to the buying power of Litchfield individually and collectively. But of course, the sales information was not destined to be used. As a blind, it covered some extraordinarily interesting facts about a group of persons in Litchfield. Hmm. Hey, Linda, check this out. It says here that 94% of our target shoppers prefer it when there's more than one checker in the whole damn store. Wow. <laughs> We've been wrong this whole time. <laughs> so much you can learn just by asking. You know what? One's too many. How about we just open a bunch of self-checkout lanes? Oh. Nass now gathered up a big bunch of the papers and, tying them with a string, laid them aside. These, he said, are the final eliminations. The solution of the Litchfield mysteries does not lie among them. If your theory is correct, sir... That's why I bound them up tightly with nearly indestructible twine. That's how confident I am in you, boss. <laughs> indestructible twine. Then, gathering up the remaining papers, he tapped the uppermost one with his forefinger. It's indestructible twine time. <laughs> Somewhere here, he added, lies the key. It is your hypothesis as much as mine returned Hazard, speaking from his customary halo of blue smoke. It was your work on the Wabusin case that suggested the thought to me. Nast looked across at his chief with affectionate eyes. Oh, he's watching the detective. Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> you know, Hazard looks pretty good now, but wait till next year's model. Okay. Yeah, I'll accept that. Thank you. Thank you. Hazard was his god, an idol before him who he bowed. Murder, the blood sacrifice before the hazard. <laughs> All hail hazard. Maybe Felix is a title. Means you know, like, that's not his real name, right? <laughs> oh, right. His name is like Bill Chawiski. 
Chewiski? Yeah, Chewiski. Okay. <laughs> All right. However dissimilar in some respects, the two men were in cord mentally. And however cold and curt Hazard could be with outsiders, he did not fail in sympathetic consideration for his favorite pupil, this keen young man whose imagination could take flights almost as high as his own. Yes, Nast returned. It is my hypothesis, yet sometimes I confess, I question its reasonableness. I mean, it could be a very lazy predator just taking it easy, but can we prove it's very lazy predator just taking it easy beyond a reasonable doubt? Do you have any pictures of the predator in flip-flops at the uh, line at the 7-Eleven, maybe? Picking up some Cheetos? <laughs> no, he's invisible. It's just the Cheetos are just <laughs> hanging in the air by himself. That's a pretty chill predator. Yeah. For the sake of its picturesqueness, at least, I should like to accept it unequivocally. I would add some interesting material to forensic medicine. Hazard looked over to a bookcase and took down a ponderous volume. And yet, he said, it would be in tune with what you already find here in this book. It would simply furnish another example of the inscrutable workings of the human intellect under abnormal and unhappy conditions. Oh, another why left BuzzFeed video. <laughs> it is your privilege and mine, Nast, to reach continually a little beyond the known realms of mental science. We are explorers in that most mysterious of all countries, the brain jungle. <laughs> why, uh, Dr. Nonsensical Bullshit, I presume. <laughs> Oh, you're in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. <laughs> no, wait, no, you're in the brain jungle, baby. You're going uh -huh. to think. Mm, okay. <laughs> Terrible. Kind of like Salacious Crumb is the lead singer <laughs> of Guts and Roses. I mean, I know Axel's had some problems, but I thought he was making a comeback. He's so salacious, man. He's got, okay. a, he's got a gig to save, too. He's had so many years of just living in max rebo's limelight it's he just wanted to be out on his own for a while ah uh, you know what i liked was when he uh opened for colin hay when colin hay uh was doing the acoustic set with mm -hmm. the twilight dancer <laughs> it's a good show joke for just you and me there. I know. like <laughs> and colin hay's wife <laughs> oh marie i'll always remember her was her name Marie? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. But we must not forget that however elusive are the paths that run through the jungles up in that land, they follow convolutions that have been mapped. Thus, we draw on what we already know, and by analogy, adduce suppositions. Here's an analogy. This whole narrative is like one big adduce. <laughs> Being dropped right on the audience. He opened the volume and let the pages run loosely through his fingers. Pages that held within their confines many of the weirdest mysteries of time. The Nazca lines. Mothman, who's still watching The Walking Dead. <laughs> Some mysteries can never be answered, Alan. No, who's still watching The Walking Dead? <laughs> I don't know. Then he closed the book sharply. We are working along the right line, he said. Every deduction tells me so. We will set the trap soon. And catch in it, perhaps, an arch-fiend. 
Maybe a possum, though. So we have to keep checking the trap to be sure. <laughs> the animal control people were very specific about that, okay? What if they check the trap and there's an No, you don't put the it. trap out until after dawn, okay? Otherwise, oh. there's a very high chance of a possum. <laughs> That's worse than an arch fiend. Have you seen those things? Then, with a sudden change of tone, he went on. How many names remain after the eliminations? Did I ever tell you the story about having to chase a possum out of my sister's house? (laughs) No. Please? Elucidate? I know that sounds like a Kenneth from uh, 30 Rock story, but it's, (laughs) it's actually true. Those uh, those mid-Atlantic possums, they're the worst. Um, Let me tell you. Yeah. He played dead a lot. (laughs) I'm not kidding. He really thought it was going to work. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. What what was your weapon at hand? A broom? Yeah, I was going to guess a broom, but I just didn't want to assume that. Wow. What, a katana? What what do you think? (laughs) I thought some throwing stars. I don't know. Maybe it's nunchucks. Yeah. Um, nunchucks. Nunchucks. <laughs> Coming soon. Nunchucks versus possum. Hodorowski's nunchucks versus possum. And you got it. You got it out of the house after way too long, I'm sure. Oh, we set up a book obstacle course <laughs> to funnel him. <laughs> it took a long time. Oh, that is gross. I'm. <laughs> It was like the American ninja of possum courses. <laughs> oh, look at his grip strength, though. That's, that's what you got to look for. Yeah, I'm going to say salmon ladder. <laughs> you know, come for the stories, folks. Stay for the possums. <laughs> Hazard took the list and studied it long. How many names remain after the eliminations? Six, said Nast. Hazard took the list and studied it long. Pondering the closely written notations Nast had made opposite the names, he studied and pondered so long that Trinity chimes rang two o'clock, and then three, before he put down the list and threw away the remains of his fifth cigar. Our move is to concentrate rather strongly on Abbott Aberton, he said. I had already reached the same conclusion, answered Nast. And we're agreed that Zuzu Zellington is the least likely suspect, which is why she is at the bottom of the spreadsheet, right? Sure thing, boss. Nobody hit any weird keys or anything, right? Nope, nope. Just uh, hit that sort thing at the top and it went criminals. Right. No, sort, but it's what you sorted by. Nope. The names of the worst criminals. Did you you use a pivot table? I uh I think. You know what? Why don't we take a break here, Rob? <laughs> Sounds like a good idea, Alan. We love theme parks, and chances are, so do you. Theme parks are an industry that generates billions of dollars every year, employs millions of people, and actively pushes technological innovations in an effort to keep doing both. It's part of our collective culture. Which makes us wonder, why aren't we talking about these parks the same way we talk about other media? 
Hence Those Happy Places, a podcast series on theme parks, rides, and attractions, and how they tell stories. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. Consider this show not only a loving second look at your favorite rides, but a critical analysis at how technology, movement, and theming combine to tell the stories that attract hundreds of millions to theme parks every year. Those Happy Places seeks to apply the same level of discourse that you might see more commonly applied to films or literature to beloved attractions from around the world. So check us out at www.thosehappyplaces.com and wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter. That's right. I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I'm at Alice White THP for Those Happy Places. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us in Those Happy Places. Part 3 Two evenings later at the dinner hour, Delos Nast moved cautiously along in the shadow of an eight-foot brick wall that surrounded the spacious grounds of the turrets, as the home of Abbot Aberton in Litchfield was called. Reaching a spot especially favored by the deep gloom of the trees, he sprang lightly up and caught the top ledge with his fingers. Nest was rather small but abnormally athletic so that in a few seconds he had swung himself over and disappeared in the darkness inside. The Aberton home was on a lonely hill in the outskirts of the most exclusive residential part of Litchfield. On the non-getting-murdered part. <laughs> Ritzy. <laughs> they haven't had a murder in three years. <laughs> it was a forbidding old place with flowers and turrets that had... No apparent part in the scheme of life, except architecturally. The flowers, really? They... Yeah, they're load-bearing flowers, Rob. <laughs> they need a better architect or gardener or one or the other. You'd be fascinated to see what the landscapers did with the foundation. <laughs> the grounds covered five acres that were set with trees of dense foliage, many of them semperivant and beautiful, but long neglected. Uh, yeah, semper virent to you. <laughs> I see you're a fellow member of the U.S. Mary Jane Corps. <laughs> it's 1914 somewhere, dude. <laughs> All's Tripoli, right? Yeah. I'm seeing Tripoli. <laughs> Here and there, a huge weeping willow reared its ghostly form and gave a graveyard aspect to the place. Abertim himself was as gray and melancholy as the great house, a widower living alone with his servants. Of the latter, he kept only three, all of them as old as himself and as unapproachable. Hey man, can I get a selfie with you for my kids? Oh, you don't have time for a fan, huh? Well, your last bath drawing sucked. Bath drawing? Yeah, the guy, he draws the bath. <laughs> but he's unapproachable. <laughs> So if you want to compliment him on how much you like his work, he doesn't appreciate it. Oh, such a snooty butler. <laughs> for for I, you know, to be fair, that costs extra yeah. to get snootiness. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth every penny, though. 
For thirty years he had lived thus, in growing seclusion, and although not wholly a recluse, he spent most of his time at the turrets. He had no intimates, and only occasionally did anyone call on him. Such calls as he had were usually connected with requests for contributions to charity in the church. Of late, a number of persons who solicited such funds of Aberton had met with very ungracious rebuffs, and it was gossiped that the old man's fortunes had suffered in some way. Oh, one of those candy crush whales, yeah. Just blew it all, huh? Yeah. Hey, those gems aren't going to refill themselves. <laughs> in early life, Aberton had inherited the family property, married, and thrown open the house to the most brilliant functions ever seen in Litchfield. The most elaborate pajama jammy jams, the most dazzling of 70s disco prom nights. <laughs> pajama jammy jam! <laughs> I'm sorry, what was, uh, what was your uh, disco prom name again, Rom? Oh, what was my disco prom name? <sighs> what was yours? Mine was Colt Masterson. Oh yeah, Colt Masterson. Yours was not Bert Ferrari. <laughs> that was although that was a good one. Bert Ferrari was a good one. It must it was something Mustang or something? Yeah, it might have been like Dirk Mustang. No, it was not Dirk. Felix Hazard. Yep. That, <laughs> ah, that's where I know this guy from. <laughs> For a few years, the turrets was the social center of the city, during which period a son was born. But then came disaster of the blackest sort, the death of wife and child in a runaway accident. After that, the house was never opened to anyone, except in the most formal way. Some of the ruder children of Litchfield called the lonely man Old Hawknose because of his aquiline features. Older persons spoke of him sometimes as Dante. Because he made just a terrible tasting nine layer dip it was basically a store-bought seven layer dip but he added broccoli and mayo oh oh that, yeah. that fiend well he's in the ninth layer you get it <laughs> i got it i just can't get over the broccoli and mayo <laughs> yeah. he might indeed have been a model for doré had he lived earlier in youth his sepulchral face had been relieved by the geniality of his smile, and his wit had overshadowed his Dantean physical atmosphere. Yes, uh, he has the physical appearance of the Crypt Keeper, sure, but he also has the sharp tongue and joie de vivre of uh, the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> he was a gentleman. He had a good time. Yeah, and he could tell a story. He was a raconteur, as it were. <laughs> but now, there was no smile, and wit and he were strangers. It was here, then, that Delos Nast found himself, creeping in the protection of hedges and shrubbery, until he gained a piazza that extended beneath the drawing-room windows. Having explored the premises on the ev previous evening, he now proceeded softly to the darkest end, where, with a tool of his own invention, he deftly... Uh, Alan, the um, physical record's a little torn here. Can you help me okay. out with reading this? Um, okay, all right. All right, first I need a verb. Mm, pooped. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right, where, with the tool of his own invention, he deftly pooped the window lock through the crevice. <laughs> uh, oh, I, there's another tear here. Um, okay. Looks like I need a preposition. Uh, into. Okay, okay. And then, actually, you know what? I see in the next sentence, too, I'm going to need something else. 
Um, I need an adjective. Poopy. <laughs> Great. I, I, no, hey, I'm excited to see how this turns out. Where, with a tool of his own invention, he deftly pooped the window lock through the crevice <laughs> into <laughs> the ash, the sashes. A minute later, he was poopy. Oh, yeah, of course he was. <laughs> <laughs> maybe oh, maybe man, he shouldn't be this. so deft about it. Maybe that was his problem. Good times. Good times. Boy, the laughs we can have with just a pad of paper. <laughs> to explore a strange house in the dark was not an agreeable task, but Nast was accustomed to doing it in the interests of justice. In the present case, he had no compunction, for was he not working to dispel the nameless terror that hung over Litchfield? And didn't he have a one in six chance of committing a felony for probably pretty good reason? At least one in six. On his hands and knees, he crept across the immense room toward an uncertain light that shone from the corridor. Here, on reconnoitering, he found he had reasoned correctly in timing his visit. Aberton was at dinner. I call it Sajak's theorem. <laughs> it's uh, based on the age of the person and uh, how close it is to 7.30 p.m. <laughs> well, seven in some areas. Well, well. Oh, Got to factor yes, that uh, in, Sorry, detective. no, I said, I said that wrong. Of course, 7.30 is Jeopardy. Sorry. No, <laughs> the, the Trebek corollary is a very different theory. Okay. From the keyhole of an adjoining room, Nass saw the somber old man sitting alone in state, while an infirm and white-haired manservant attended him. This much determined, the detective lost no time in exploring the upper part of the house, and especially Aberton's personal apartments. Guided by his electric torch, he surveyed the bedroom and the dressing room off it, the appointments of which were, with a few striking exceptions, such as a gentleman of his refinement and station would have. Few more furnishings from the L.C. Lauren Conrad line than <laughs> might have expected, but uh, who can't relate to a bathroom rug with a big pair of eyelashes in the phrase "wing it" on it? It's exactly. Maybe if you just look up L.C. Rug, wing it. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, there's so that that one's uh, that's real. Oh. Oh, it's real. I stayed at a hotel uh, late recently. Marriott is trying to be hip. They have this mm -hmm. new hotel, mm -hmm. and it has sayings like that written all over the place. Like, each side of the mirror has, like, keep it simple. And, like, the other side has, look up. The other side has, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's the worst. Thank you, Marriott. Thank you. The chief difference lay in the presence of a baby's bed, finished in snow-white enamel, apparently quite new. Laid out upon the counterpane were the freshly laundered garments of a small child. Scattered about the rooms were other evidences of strong philoprogenitiveness. Uh, a lot of proactive bottles just strewn about, no doubt. <laughs> just proactive bottles and jitterbug phones everywhere. If you've got phyloprogenitive disorder, then... You're going to need it. Well, you're going to need something. <laughs> Although decades had passed since the small son had slept in that crib for the last time, 
Proceeding to the study farther down the upper hall, Nast cast the rays of his searchlight upon a large mahogany desk. It was locked, but he opened it with the third key he tried. The first thing that met his eyes was a small gold object, which he scrutinized closely, but did not disturb. In one of the recesses of the desk, he next unearthed some papers, the inscriptions upon which he had copied rapidly into his notebook. Bill passed due. Consolidated Hitman Limited. Maximum of five hits reached. Please remit payment in order to continue receiving hits. Got to admit, it's a, it's a very nice invoice for uh, the Hitman Consolidated it's Hitman. Yeah. It's classy. They use fresh books, I think. <laughs> he had scarcely finished this task when his alert ears caught the shuffle of footsteps on the carpeted stairs. Closing the desk, he concealed himself behind some draperies and watched Aberton switch on the light, open the desk, and take from it some of the papers. Then, turning off the light, Aberton left the room. It was a hazardous situation. Yeah, we were this close to having another old man surprised by Guy hiding in the curtains story, Rob. I honestly think we were going there. Uh, yeah, so. it seemed like Oof. it, huh? Yeah, but I, I just want to say that it always is a hazardous situation when Felix Hazard is involved. Yes, and it's always the big time when jazz big time is involved. <laughs> jazz big time. Oh, yes, hope, please keep getting my name out there. I hope he gets his own spinoff. That's a, yeah. But Nast followed, risking the danger of discovery. The hall was dimly lighted anyway, and he might pass for a servant never to turn unexpectedly. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who's Who's there? Is it one of the three decades-old employees I'm extremely familiar with due to solely spending all my time in this house? I can't quite... No, I'm, I'm a ghost. That was plan B. <laughs> <laughs> this he did not do, but kept straight ahead except for a jog in the corridor. Nast, at a judicious distance behind, paused a moment at this turn to avoid getting too close... Then he followed, but Aberton had disappeared, nor could an hour's search of the premises reveal any trace of him. Part 4 A week later, Felix Hazard, pondering some mystery in his skull room, was handed a code telegram, which, on being translated, read as follows. I have at last discovered the secret of Aberton's nightly disappearance within his own house. Last night... I gained access to his turret room through a paneled door, and in concealment witnessed extraordinary things. Nude things. Oof. Brownie face. Oof. Poop emoji. <laughs> I am sending full details by mail. I mean, he does get poopy. <laughs> it's old. It's, it with happens. The, with the window. And sashes, the, yeah. And the sashes and the into... <laughs> Important to keep a close shadow on Aberton day and night. Send three more men at once, and have Louise Dennison here by tomorrow afternoon. Indications are that the trap will be ready to set by tomorrow night. If Miss Dennison is willing to act, your plan is likely to work out. Diabolical things brewing, anyway. Pumpkin nails. <laughs> so, wait, this guy's just been breaking into this guy's house every night for a week? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> A week? We get paid by the hour. Oh, 
Okay, done deal. Signed, Nast. To this, Hazard answered by wire in the agency's cipher. Luis Dennison is game and will put our theory to the test. Run no chances, but have her well guarded. If it comes to a showdown, take Aberton, dead or alive. Just show this telegram to a policeman afterwards. It'll be fine. <laughs> Hazard Tech the Detective Agency takes care of its own. Don't worry about it. We're cool. It's, it's like a Wild Wild West poster. Ow. It's, you know, it's pretty much legal. Part 5. Just before dusk the next day, a stylishly dressed young woman rang the gate bell of the Aberton Mansion, and to the manservant who answered, presented a card bearing the name of Mrs. Louise Merton, Special Financial Agent of the Society for the Extension of Religion in America. No, wait, 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 wait. Don't shut the door. Here's our pitch. Bigger, better, wetter. <laughs> Sign me up! The footman gravely ushered the caller into the drawing room, requested her to be seated, and glided out. He was quite accustomed to callers of this class, if not to social guests. The room bore ample evidence of its erstwhile magnificence, with its immense gilded mirrors, its paneled walls, rich hangings, and massive mahogany furniture, and time had scarcely dimmed the splendor of its decorations, though the air was heavy with the oppressiveness one finds in rooms long unused to sun and air. Mm, prison cells? <laughs> I, yeah, nice mahogany prison cells. That's a plus. <laughs> yeah. Huh? The tragedy of the Abertons hung over it. Yes, the tragedy of inventing the Abertons <laughs> that really ruined Jennifer Connelly's career for a while there. <sighs> They were already yeah. there. I don't see why she had to invent them in the first place, Alan. Oh, mm. uh, well, when it comes to seeing it, neither did audiences, Rob. <laughs> the caller shivered a bit and sat for a minute watching the door where the men had disappeared. Then she arose and moved silently over to the side of the room where a massive divan stood against some draperies. Seating herself on the divan, she said in a whisper, apparently to the tapestry hangings, I rely on you, Nest. Oh, no, we're back in it. There's a guy right in the curtain. <laughs> this is oh, where it gets man. good, Alan. Come on. <laughs> Keep your nerve up, Louise, came the whispered answer. The whole game is now up to you. But have your Barker on tap. Yes, your, your Barker. He's talking about have butt, right? Have your pets spayed or neutered. <laughs> she was back in her chair a moment later, waiting for the expected development. Hazard had reasoned it all out that Aberton, on getting her card, would come down to see her. Oh yeah, they've they've reasoned it all out. They'll get a card. He's gonna come down. How much are we paying these Hazard guys? <laughs> Is it too late to renegotiate? Oh no, it's a genius plan. City Come budget. Knock, knock on the door and ask to meet him. I mean, this is uh, this is pretty clever stuff here. Mm. She was inclined to be skeptical herself, but she knew that her chief had good analogies from which to reason. He was not working blindly. Aberton would come down, he had said. Yeah, uh, no, he said that. It's just uh, 
doesn't seem like the thing you need professionals to tease out. Just, just give him a chance. He has his ways of working, Alan, all right? Okay. Yeah. Works. Perhaps it was well for her state of mind that she did not know what he was doing upstairs at that moment. However, some of Hazard's spies were up there watching. She knew that. How many, how many drapes does this guy have? Oh, a lot of them. Oh, okay. She waited five or ten minutes and found herself uneasily watching. Can't keep them clean. <laughs> she waited five or ten minutes and found herself uneasily watching the darkening shadows of the room and wondering if the crystal chandeliers bore any possibilities of light. Well, speaking as someone who saw the dark crystal as a kid, yes, I am terrified of puppets. <laughs> perfectly logical statement. The day was not entirely gone outside, as she could see through the chinks in the time-checked window shades. But here, in the drawing room, night was already at hand. The silence in the house was deep and oppressive, and she started as a gust of wind swept under the roof of the piazza. For a moment she arose, and her hand went quickly to the pocket of her coat. But she sank back, with a little laugh, upon the cushion of the chair. <laughs> no, I don't want to die in some Lebanese thicket house, please. <laughs> Are there going to be songs? The house with the guy in the curtains in the walls. <laughs> oh, got a YA series in you yet, Alan. Had she not often braved the uncanniest of dangers in the pursuit of her calling? So many quickly slammed doors. It's, it's the life she chose, though. It is. Then another gust ruddled a window. And really? Just, well, Come ruddled. on, you chose, you chose ruddled. <laughs> we got a little, uh, little rip in the documentation here again. Uh, <laughs> then another gust rattled a window. And despite okay. herself, a chilling fright swept over her. If Felix Hazard's theory was true, and she well knew that he never worked on idle guesses, then were not the horrors of this house sufficient to terrify any woman? Oh, no. Are they bringing back Rock of Love for a fourth season? Ooh, ooh, that is terrifying. It's, that house has got a lot of... <laughs> a lot of chlamydia on the walls. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> on the walls? <laughs> Let me tell you, it's, it's not pretty. It's all the way from the windows to the walls. <laughs> she revolted at her profession and felt the impulse to flee from the house screaming. Here in the darkness, the thing might happen before even Nast, hidden near the divan, could avert it. But it was a woman's impulse, and she conquered it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, why doesn't this lady man up like the guy hiding behind the curtains? <laughs> yeah. She's out there. She's on the front lines, man. No kidding. The die was cast, and she waited. Now she could not distinguish the objects in the room, though she could see the opening into the reception hall. Listen, I get it. It's weird to go snooping around, but at a certain point, isn't it more suspicious to stay in a completely <laughs> darkened room? Wouldn't it be more natural to kind of, you know, wander around looking for a light switch? Yeah, or... yeah. Or candle? Gas lamp? How many doors were there in this drawing room? She wondered. She hadn't apparently looked around at all mm. in the many hours she had been there. 
Straining her eyes, she tried to discover, and suddenly sprang to her feet. For in the last vestige of light, she saw the powerful, though gaunt form of a man before her. It was not the servant. She knew it was Aberton himself. He spoke in tones that were singularly deep and melancholy. You represent the Society for the Extension of Religion in America, I believe. Oh, great. You do believe it? Oh, that's fantastic, because I, I really didn't think my cover was working out. I mean... <laughs> Whoopsie. I do, she replied, pulling her faculties together and keeping her right hand in her coat pocket. The Society counts on your benevolence and generosity. In addition to questionable tax laws. <laughs> if you choose, he said after a moment's pause, you may tell me about the aims of this organization. The girl shuddered. The day before in the skull room, Hazard had prophesied almost these very words. Aberton would utter them, he had said. I'd like to help, but... Crap, I must have lost my wallet. Hazard had warned her. Aberton would say, Crap, I must have lost my wallet, he had said. <laughs> he's a brilliant detective. Oh, he's fantastic. <laughs> hey, lady, sit in this room for a few hours. We'll get it all sorted out. Uh, there's going to be a few guys behind the curtains. You'll be fine. <laughs> and now... As she strove to see the features of the man before her, she recalled the description of him as given her, the beak of an eagle, a sinister mouth with a torturous curve, and eyes that protruded slightly from their sockets and had the power to glare with the hate of a tiger. She imagined they were glaring at her now, and that the cruel fingers were clutching for a spring at her throat. With an effort, she fought off her terror and spoke calmly. The society, she said, stands for one of the noblest movements ever taken in the name of Christianity. We're somewhere right between Mother Teresa's charity work in India and Amy Grant's baby baby going gold. Oh, that's, a, that's Pat Boone territory there. Hmm. Yes, it's quite impressive. It is a God-given work we are doing. A work with heaven on one side and Satan on the other. Have you heard we have Avril Lavigne now? <laughs> Isn't that quite a coup? <laughs> I don't know that's funny. <clears throat> Sorry, skater boys. We're Christian boys now. <laughs> it could be both, Alan. I don't like your girlfriend. I don't like your Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like your false idols. <laughs> we are fighting Satan, sir, with all the might of goodness. Hazard had written out these words for her, and she had learned them by rote. It was quite a speech Hazard had composed for her. Little wooden in parts, uh, too many pause for laughter directions, but, uh, you know, he doesn't take criticism well. No, the first draft's the only draft when it comes to Hazard. Up there in the skull room, and she had rehearsed it to him until he was satisfied. She went through it now to the end, incongruously toying with the trigger of her automatic pistol concealed in her pocket. We want people to get fired up with the spirit of Christianity, <laughs> a real shot in the arm of goodwill, a gaping 
bullet wound of hope. Oh, no, too far, too far. So, okay, sorry, I'm just, it's, it's on my mind, I couldn't say why. Is somebody saying something from the curtains? <laughs> Shut up, Sean. Shut, you, what's this happening here? Mention the thing about Avril Lavigne. Oh, I love her. She's a delight. Yeah, it's, no, seriously, it's going to be great for fundraising. <laughs> we are fighting the devil through the underlying power of the church, she repeated at the end, as Hazard had told her to. He stood in silence for a few minutes, when she had finished, and she could hear him breathing, as if he had exercised. Oh, 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 just a little, ooh, out of shape, moment. <laughs> Calves. Oh my! I don't. I don't know why I went down these steps. I'm never gonna get back up. Oh, this was a bad idea. <laughs> oh, why'd she mention Satan? That always, always makes you feel out of breath. Satan. <laughs> oh, see, she imagined that his face worked in contortions, though she could not see it. Suddenly, he stepped toward her, and she backed away quickly, half drawing the pistol. Whatever his impulse, he did not follow it up. But, turning, went to the side of the room. Evidently, he touched an electric button, for the shade of a man appeared in the doorway. A light, said the master of the place. Then to his caller, this room is seldom used, and the fixtures are not in order. Just the servant summoning buzzer, which runs on its own fear-based power source. On a separate breaker. <laughs> the servant reappeared, bearing a lamp with a red shade, which he put on the table. Aberton stood where his profile was revealed, and perhaps accentuated. Hold on, let me try to switch to my chaotic good side. <laughs> nope, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> What's his normal side? Lawful evil. Oh, lawful evil, all right. But he's got a mole, so... <laughs> stuff it's like i get it yeah his mouth seemed distorted momentarily and his great oval eyes rested on the girl for a full minute before he spoke you are staying in the city i take it at the grand hotel very well if on contemplation i decide to contribute to the extension of religion in america i shall mail you a check you have a cab waiting? The distance is short. I came afoot. Then you will find the best path to your right as you go out of the gate. Follow the wall around the corner and proceed straight ahead. There's a very quick shortcut through some catacombs. If you see somebody who looks helpful and trustworthy, you've gone the wrong way. <laughs> You're not afraid of the darkness? I have no fear, sir. Why should one be afraid who works in the great cause I serve? Uh, oh, oh, because of all those charity murders. Wait, now I see I should be afraid. <laughs> she backed away from him and passed into the vestibule. And as he opened the door for her, she brushed against him. It seemed to her as if a pair of demonic eyes were burning into her back as she went down the path to the gate, and her knees were weak under her. Had she really done the thing so far, and escaped? At the gate, 
She followed his directions, and again at the turning of the wall, passing on into the deeper shadows that lay under an overhanging willow projecting from the walled yard. Right, so he said I should keep to the dark shadows as deep as the night of endless terror. Uh, But you know, when I first arrived, I really just crossed the street from a Jamba Juice. It feels like this isn't... Really a huge shortcut. I don't don't know. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell whether it's a shortcut. Once she gets out from behind the Kmart, she'll be okay. (laughs) I mean, it's abandoned, but, you know. The Kmart of Endless Terror, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Part 6. No sooner was the girl out of the house than Aberton turned, and with extraordinary agility for a man of his age, ran lightly down the corridor to the back of his house, thence descending a flight of steps to a door that led him outside. Skirting a row of lilacs that bordered the carriage drive, he made a detour to keep in the deepest shadows and reach the wall just back of the garage. This he followed, proceeding rapidly despite the darkness until he reached a small door in the wall. Pulling the bolt, he opened it and crouched inside, peered out in direction from which the girl would approach. Can I just say... Real interesting choice to suddenly shift the perspective to that of the creepy perverter. Yeah, yeah, I like the uh, change in direction here. He's on the move and we're following the action for once. Uh, you like the change in direction? I'm just saying it's better than if we suddenly was in with Nass sitting behind a curtain, right? Plus she's going to be okay. She's got a gun, Alan, and Hazard. Felix Hazard will take care of her. Uh, That would be a heck of a creepy off. (laughs) She was coming. Against the dim light of a gas lamp far up on the corner, he could see her skirts. Skirts? Plural? (laughs) What is she, a can-can dancer? (laughs) Just, just, let's just say she has a lot of pleats. A lot of pleats. (laughs) Across the road was vacant land and clusters of trees. The night was quite dark. The Jamba Juice had closed many hours ago. <laughs> he breathed now in gasps that were hideous to hear, and some metallic thing he held in his right hand beat a little tattoo on the bricks against which he huddled. She was very close now. Aberton rose suddenly and stepped abruptly into the path, with his hand uplifted, when suddenly he uttered a cry and staggered back, blinded by the glare of some blinding, brilliant light that shot out of the darkness into his eyes. No, no, stop. I was just trying to surprise her with money for a charity that I wrote out on this novelty metal check. (laughs) The the, the nail that sticks out of one end of it was uh, just an accident. It's really kind of a funny story. That's how I make my signature. That's my mark. (laughs) A moment later, Felix Hazard was on Aberton's back and three policemen had him in their clutches. A dagger fell from his loosened fingers, and then a pistol was taken from him by the chief of police of Litchfield, together with all the other contents of his pockets. "'Curses upon you,' said Aberton as they shackled him. "'I am the devil, working evil upon everything good!' (laughs) Really? Yeah. I guess this guy is not the hero of his own story. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, give the devil his due, Alan. He, uh... He's doing all right for himself. I have some sympathy, I guess. It's, (laughs) uh, what? Yeah, this took a shift. Yeah. How dare you put bonds upon Satan himself? Release me or my curse is upon every one of you. 
An extraordinary case of paranoia, said Hazard to the men about him at the police station a little later. The paranoiac ordinarily conceives himself to be appointed of heaven to remove objectionable characters. Yes, get rid of all those pesky, disloyal troubleshooters and their clones. <laughs> that's, a, that's a paranoia joke. Yeah, it's a good one. The murderers of our presidents have been paranoics who believe themselves fulfilling a high and godly duty. But you probably wouldn't get that. Uh, you're not black level like me. Oh, no, I'm uh, I I've recently learned how to play Gnipkinop. Uh, traitor, <laughs> uh, disloyal. I don't I don't what do you, I don't I've never played that fucking game. I don't really know what happens. Yeah, I don't know either one, really. Uh, the, <laughs> but here is a man who acts from the reverse motive. Sane in most respects, the monomania obsesses him that he is the ruler over Hades and that he must fight the legions of good. And then something about pomegranates, it's a, it's a complicated delusion. I <laughs> can't remember all of it. How many seeds did you eat? How many? Who keeps track of that? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Any number more than one is bad. This was the theory that forced itself upon me when first these crimes were brought to my notice. The victims were all arrayed against the instincts of the devil. And it hit me. What if it was the work of one Satanist rather than five separate and completely unrelated cases, which would be much less convenient to investigate? <laughs> and so I threw it right out the window. Second I found that Satanist, boom! Work done, check cha-ching! The first, you recall, was the widow, a philanthropist who had founded an asylum for homeless children. Murder solved. Hey, I'll be up in the skull room if you need me. <laughs> Drinking some Dan Aykroyd Crystal Skull Vodka. <laughs> it, I don't like it, but it fits in with the theme. Yeah, but you know, we got it decorated out you know <laughs> i went to pier one i got one skull and then suddenly everybody's giving me skulls every year from christmas it's like they know me as the skull guy now here was typified charity the second victim was a child standing for innocence the candy poisoning was perpetuated with the idea of torturing and putting to death more than one little child who might get the dosed buttercups. Oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that part. I was yeah. hoping you'd be one of those sort of witty devils with a British accent that you, you know, you beat at a card game and they get pretty mad, but they don't necessarily attempt mass infanticide. Yeah. Yeah, this is the one of the other kinds yeah. of devils, yeah. yeah one of, more of a downer devil, really. Yeah, all right, yeah, downer devil. <laughs> I love Dr Rachel Dretch. <laughs> Doing Devil Downer. This maniac had secured some of the candies, poisoned them, and smuggled them back into the containers on the counter. A simple expedient for the cunning but cruel mind of a paranoic. Then followed the assassination of the clergyman, who was a godly man, you remember, representing faith. Next came the murder of the young girl, 
who in the lunatic's distorted vision required removal as a type of purity. Finally, the mother superior represented perhaps pity for the woes of men and women. Uh, perhaps I'm kind of making shit up on the spot at this point. <laughs> perhaps, who knows? <laughs> Maybe she represented uh, Tuesday. I don't know. <laughs> Tuesday's child. <laughs> From a cell below came Aberton's solemn voice, crying, Satan's curses upon you! I... I mean my curses, mine! <laughs> the logical course, Hazard went on, was to study the people of Litchfield and by a process of elimination... Uh, which involves going to multiple death metal band concerts, all of which were, frankly, indistinguishable to me. Round up the worst possible paranoics. For in paranoia alone was it reasonable to look for the source of these deeds. We found six possible subjects. And Zuzu was into some pretty sick stuff, let me tell you, it's... Something to do with Elsa and Spider-Man? It's very disturbing. Oh, I, no. I don't understand. I don't understand it at all. They were all investigated, but from the start, Aberton presented the best clues. His family bereavements, over which he was brooding, had clearly upset his mind, although to the untrained observer he showed no symptom of his malady. Except for, of course, the crazy old house and the not seeing anybody and the, uh -huh. yeah, it really took a clever detective is all I'm saying. Sure. It was only when my men gained access to his home that they unearthed positive evidence and discovered a secret room in one of the turrets where he had a throne of Satan. Mm, that's actually just a <laughs> toilet. He got painted by Count's customs. Got a lot of flaming skulls on it. Count's they let Horny Mike do it. <laughs> oh, Horny Mike. Oh, oh he's the worst. It's always going to end up too much. And went through mystic ceremonies, which were revealed to him the names of his prospective victims. These names he wrote in red ink on a sheet of paper and crossed them off in black as he murdered them. And he wrote little hearts in purple next to him. He had one of those... Those pens with all the little flicky colored things in them. Is, you just want to play with it. When he got Louise Dennison's card, he took it up to the turret room and there added her fictitious name to his fateful list before he went down to see her. Took him two hours to write her name in a book? Well, That's what we were waiting for? There's, there's incantations, uh, you know. There's, no, it's red ink. It's not blood. He's really old. You know how, how hard cursive is with that get, arthritis? Get it to write here. Just give me another sheet so I'll make little circles till the ink starts coming out. <laughs> the chief of police now has the list taken from the person of Aberton himself along with the gold cross of the Mother Superior, added the chief. It was a fearful strain to keep watch on the maniac, resumed Hazard. There was no telling which would prove his next victim, and to arrest him without conclusive evidence might give him a chance to escape indictment and thus remain a frightful hazard to Litchfield. 
Mm, yeah, that's what small New England towns are known for, setting free known Satanists when there isn't sufficient evidence. <laughs> kind of Well known for no mob justice on that kind of thing, right? Kind of part of their charter, really. Plus, uh, did you see how I worked in Hazard there? Huh? Huh? That's me. Hazard? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and underlined it and wrote... Uh, please remit payment at your <laughs> earliest convenience. <laughs> Paranoia is a most difficult thing to prove. So I resolved to bait him with this plea from the Society for the Extension of Religion. The widow Blovel, I discovered, had been to see him in behalf of her orphan asylum on the day she was killed. Well, there's some evidence for you. <laughs> <laughs> How bad are these police? God. They're pretty bad. The Five people, man. <laughs> the Reverend Dr. Mathewson likewise had sought funds of him for the church on that very Sunday he was shot down in the dark. <laughs> Analogies, my friends. How do they work? <laughs> Wait, are they the ones with like and as, or is that the other one? I don't, I'm pretty sure I haven't used them. <laughs> I tried to reason from such analogies, for the human mind, however erratic, always comes back to certain starting points. The more you study the morbid histology of the brain, the more you see that these microscopic tissue structures in different craniums simply repeat the same general story. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> Lure. Liquidate. It's trite, but true. Lore liquidate, yes. It's in right there on the photo frame. <laughs> it was all around the mirror in my hotel room. It was really weird. <laughs> Boy, Lauren Conrad is making some strange design choices. <laughs> I do not approve of the Hail Satan line. I'm just going to say that right now, okay? In my opinion, observed the chief, this girl, Louise Dennison is allowing herself to be used as a murder bait, ran a terrible risk, and deserves the everlasting gratitude of Litchfield. The devil's curses on the girl, came the wailing voice from below. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> just, they're just letting him down there screaming. He's hearing the whole thing? They had dudes in the curtains. They've been staking <laughs> out his place for three months. <laughs> oh, the girl did it. He just... She fooled me. <laughs> Louise Dennison fears neither man nor Satan, said Hazard as he lighted another cigar. And as our friend of the lower regions, his curse, so long a deadly menace to Litchfield, need no longer trouble you. If only he were the devil in reality. Then God would owe me big, real big. I'm talking get my own pocket universe big oh yeah you want to be in like that you want him to owe you the skulliverse yeah the skull yeah we'd hang out there and look at red green diagrams <laughs> lots You'd of have daggers to tell me which one is which just daggers anywhere you reach skittles for days <laughs> in which case observed the chief of police Felix Hazard would find no further cause for the exercise of his weird detecting talents. The end.
So how much do you think that this small town spent on a detective in a case where the uh, the last known person to speak to all of the deceased was the same old man? Okay, well, I mean, there was probably a budget for roads and meals on wheels and other extraneous expenses that, you know, anybody would naturally cut. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I, I've been involved in local government. There's always a budget line for a random weirdo detective. The petty cash fund. <laughs> So, Alan, what do you think the moral of this story was? What, what, what could we have learned here? Well, if there's one thing I've learned after 50 episodes of Interrupted Tales, Rob, is that you never know who might be paranoid. So you tell the next person who comes to your door uninvited to get the hell away as quickly as possible and then shout, you're welcome. It's a a good but confusing lesson to learn, Alan. If you can't get specific after 50, when can you? I mean, we're not writing Chinese fortune cookies here. I'm telling you the real dope people. Hey, you want the $1.6 billion? Here's Here's a little number for you. 14. <laughs> you put that in your back pocket. <laughs> Hazard, you've done it again. <laughs> I think uh, the morality was a little more basic, which is, mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, which is, um, you know, marketing. So you set up yourself as a solver of unsolvable crimes and they just come on in. It's a, the, so the morality basically is get better at your job. Everyone. You know, after 50 episodes, I would think, you'd... you know what? It's, it's a time for celebration, Rob. Not not for tearing down. <laughs> well, I guess about about wraps it up for this week's oh, yeah, it extra wraps it up. special episode. Um I think we've lived, we've learned, and uh this will be the last episode of Interrupted Tales, and I hope no, I'm kidding. We I hope you tune in next time for another exciting interrupted Let the Ceremony begin. I call now upon the dread power of the oscillating fan of malice to open the sacred tome white pages and reveal to me the name of the victim on row G50. Oh, that's a bingo. Hey!